Yes, unity. That was the watchword, if you recall, when Joe Biden was inaugurated as the 46th president of the United States. Unity. Unity. That's more the way he said it. That's about as much energy as he could muster, considering he's got one foot in the grave and the other on a banana peel and doesn't even know he's alive or where he is. Hi, everyone. I'm Jamie Dury, and welcome to another National Preview Online podcast. If you have not already done so, please subscribe to the show. You can do so in one of three ways. Go to either one of the app stores you use, whether it's the iTunes App Store or the Google Play Store, and simply search for the NPO podcast and download that way. You can subscribe and you'll be notified every time a new episode is uploaded. And the alternative, if you prefer to use something other than your native podcast aggregator app, and then simply download the free Podbean app which is our hosting service, and you can subscribe that way. Either way, you'll always be notified. Either way, you can always make comments and leave reviews, and we please ask that you do that because the more reviews we receive and the better they are, the faster the show grows because the more easily it is discoverable by people who are searching uh, for news commentary and other conservative content uh, by way of podcasts podcasts themselves being one of the fastest growing ways people are getting information. Upwards of 54 million people in this country subscribe to podcasts. So that's what we're asking you for. Thank you. Okay. Just when you thought things couldn't get any crazier, uh, they're getting crazier. And so I thought I'd make today's show about how unity isn't taking place and how ununified we are fast becoming despite Biden's call for unity, because his administration, in the way they have gone about and stormed out of the gate, uh, proves that they're not interested in anything uh, remotely resembling unity. When a Democrat talks about unity, what they're basically saying is, just agree with us, and we'll have unity. If you disagree with us, then there's no unity, and it's your fault, because you disagreed with us. That's, that's the Democrat idea of unity. Well, this insanity is infecting corporations who should know better. Now, corporations are for-profit companies. Now, people that are usually engaged in the business of making a profit, which is most companies, that's how they're able to employ people, can usually see the forest from the trees. Unless, of course, they're so pressured by government and cultural upheaval that they think they need to go along in order to get along rather than stand up for what's right. So this involves a company that I'm sure you're all familiar with, Coca-Cola. Anyone ever heard of it? Ever drank it? Well, I, I want to believe that this is not true. This is an article published on January, um, February, excuse me, 19th of this year. That's yesterday. But if it is true and they don't change course, I will no longer drink Coca-Cola. I will eliminate everything from my refrigerator that the Coca-Cola company produces I will forbid my children from using it, and I will forbid my wife from drinking it. She may give me some resistance, but I'm sure she'll be satisfied with Pepsi. Anyway, here it is. Sit down. Coca-Cola forces employees, forces, not suggests, forces employees to take a, quote, white fragility author's course on how to be less white. This author who wrote White, White Fragility wrote a course on how to be less white. Coca-Cola has forced employees to take a mandatory course on LinkedIn 
to learn how to be, quote, less white. Leaked images from a whistleblower reveal. The images reportedly leaked by Carlin Borisenko by an internal whistle uh, leaked to, I'm sorry, reportedly leaked to Carlin Borisenko by an internal whistleblower at Coca-Cola show a course by Robin D'Angelo entitled Confronting Racism being taken by an employee at the company with the logo showing in the top right-hand corner of the page. Coca-Cola employees are taught to be less white by the course, which implies that to be white is to be arrogant, defensive, ignorant, and oppressive. The course also claims that in the West, white children are socialized, quote, to feel that they are inherently superior and that one-time workshops on racism are not enough, claiming that people must be regularly indoctrinated, is a lovely word, by anti-racism. The course is available. I just wanted that to sink in for a second. There's the, the pregnant pause. The course is available on the business network LinkedIn's LinkedIn Learning site, which allows people to upload courses on various topics, both free and paid, giving companies easy access to training materials for their staff. When viewing the 1,016 people on LinkedIn who had liked the course, National File was able to confirm that one of the most recent likes was an employee of Coca-Cola America, giving more supporting evidence that the screenshots were legitimate. Now, the article uh, includes a tweet here by Carlin Baroshenko. Uh, One thing you should keep in mind is that Coke probably isn't the only company using this training with their employees. It's on LinkedIn Learning. Any company can pay for it. What other companies are making their employees do it? It's an interesting question, because other people who like the course include employees from Microsoft, Singapore Airlines, the Philadelphia Eagles, the DNC, AIG Insurance, Adidas, Santander Bank, Walmart, Lego, Carhartt, Regeneron, LA's Unified School District, the UNHCR, the ADL, Nokia, Seattle PD, Blue Cross, Tiffany and Company, Renault, Verizon, Dropbox, Vodafone, Western Union, and LinkedIn itself. Now, the simple fact that employees of these companies uh, have liked the course isn't proof positive that these companies actually compelled people to take the course. The people could have found the course other ways. But it is certainly suggestive, given the breadth of the companies and the size of them, that it is conceivable that they are doing it. We don't know. But apparently it is the case of Coca-Cola, because we have a whistleblower, who I I assume will eventually be identified and come to the forefront and swear uh, that this was done. But the very notion of such a course, a course to make employees less white, what would the reaction be if we had a course of being less black? You think they would be screaming like stuck pigs, and rightfully so? I mean, nobody has a choice in their race before they're born. Nobody consults you. You are what you are. You are born into what you are born into. That's it. That's the end of it. And people are what they are. They're acculturated as they are. And although we don't want to foster racism, we certainly shouldn't be 
having courses telling people, well, you're too white. You've got to be less white. I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but um, for whatever reason, and I, I understand there are socioeconomic reasons, and it's changing now. For much of this country's history, and of course now naysayers are going to say this is because of racism, uh, many of the richest, most successful people in this country have been white. Now, as I said, that's changing. As, as society becomes a little more equal and balanced, we have uh, black entrepreneurs, and God bless them, let's have more of them. You have Oprah Winfrey, who's the first billionaire, I think, um, female. She's black and she's a billionaire. You know, all success to her if she wants to continue to put her financial capital at risk in business like other people have. She deserves to make a profit on it. We have sports figures who have made uh, great strides, not only in athletics, but in business. We have fine public gentlemen like Michael Jordan who have invested their money and, and become uh, really part and parcel of the great fabric of the American socioeconomic and business structure. But that doesn't discount that prior to this time, there were a lot of white entrepreneurs who risked a lot of capital to make this country great. In fact, most of the owners in the NFL, or virtually all the owners in the NFL, who employ these um, black players whom uh, the media would have you believe everybody is prejudiced against, uh, are white. And they're paying a lot of money. That hypocrite, former San Francisco 49er quarterback, Colin Kaepernick, uh, here's a man who was raised by adoptive white parents, uh, went to predominantly white schools, hired by white NFL owners and paid a lot of money. And when his skills eroded to the point where they thought they wanted to trade him. In order to forestall this, he pulls out the race card. He, who was never a victim of racism his entire life, lived, lived a pretty good life, uh, as a matter of fact, with primarily white people as his benefactors. Uh, and now he pulls the race card and says, uh, I'm going to be cut because I'm, because I'm black as a way to hold on to his job. And it worked for a while, but now it's backfired because eventually he was cut, and now nobody wants him. Who wants a troublemaker on their roster? Nobody that I know. But this is sick. This is in, in, uh, indicative of the sickness of a society when courses like this even exist. And I'm going to have to do some subsequent research on this Robin D'Angelo to see just what kind of lunatic she is that comes up with this article about white fragility. Uh, this book, rather, about white fragility. But just thought you'd like to know that um, this is what um, corporations like uh, Coca-Cola think are, are what going to do, uh, or what needs to be done, rather. Now, according to this um, person who wrote the article, Carlin Bonashenko, similar anti-white courses were halted by Coca-Cola following President Trump's executive order banning critical race theory training for federal contractors last year, telling staff that they would start again if Biden won and now that and that they now plan to integrate this course with onboarding and training of new employees. So apparently this stuff was around. It was stopped because the Trump administration thought it was ridiculous and unfair, a sort of reverse racism indoctrination program, which is what I think it is. But now that we have the incompetent communist-in-chief in the White House with his 
more than incompetent communist second-in-command Kamala Harris, these sorts of things are bound to be more prevalent. But there is still more in our show today on the lack of unity and other little tidbits. The Lincoln Project. The Lincoln Project. We all know about the Lincoln Project. This was started by George Conway, the wife of uh, Kellyanne Conway, who used to be a Trump's advisor. George Conway is a bit of a schmuck, and he's an out-and-out rabid anti-Trumper, and he started the Lincoln Project as a way to get back at Trump. Uh, He was one of the co-founders. Well, now they're going to shut the Lincoln Project down. Now, why is that? Because another co-founder of the Lincoln Project is a man by the name of John Weaver. And John Weaver has been one of the more vocal critics of President Trump, calling him a complete sexual deviate and calling him uh, unfit for public office, and he's a degenerate and a reprobate, the way he treats women, and so forth and so on. And now we find out that it's the conduct of John Weaver that is the reason why this organization is going, this anti-Trump group is going to be shut down. Sexual harassment allegations against John Weaver, but not against women, or not by women, by young boys. That's right. You heard me right. Young boys, at least 21 men, have claimed that they were sexually harassed by Weaver through text messages. Some of the messages implied that if the individuals reciprocated his advances, their careers could be boosted. One individual alleged he was just 14 years old when he began receiving messages from Weaver. Weaver, in a statement in January, admitted to sending inappropriate messages and apologized to, quote, to the men I made uncomfortable. Do you think I would get away with that or you would get away with that if you made an apology to the women you made feel uncomfortable or anything like that? This, this guy is getting, he's trying to escape, but I have a feeling the hammer is going to fall on him. Nobody's going to forgive this. He used this Lincoln Project just as a way of drawing in men that he could prey upon. God knows how many he really did prey upon beyond the 21 that have come forward. How many of them just don't want to face it and just walk away from it? The Lincoln Project was a political action committee run by current and former Republicans. The project endorsed Democrat Joe Biden for president and worked to prevent the re-election of Donald Trump. During the 2019 to 2020 election cycle, the group raised more than $87 million and spent $81 million, according to the Center for Responsive Politics. The Lincoln Project put out aggressive, blunt ads to capture the attention of Democrat strategists, some of whom said the group's Republicans were battling harder against Trump than some Democrats. Hours earlier, Conway... The husband of former Trump advisor Kellyanne Conway called on the group to come clean, saying that a probe into the Lincoln Project must be thorough and not a whitewash. Look, this is what you get when you lie in bed with dogs, you come away with fleas. This is what what they wanted to do. They wanted to get the president so bad that they got in bed with real sexual perverts and deviates like John Weaver. And I hope... 
that he comes to grief over it because he should not get away with it. Abusing 21-year-old, a 14-year-old boy, the man should be strung up. There used to be a practice in the Royal Navy, which they outlawed, but I would think that for rare cases you could bring it back, and he's probably one of them. And that Jerry Sandusky guy might be another one. Call keel hauling. They used to pull you, hoist you with a rope up to the top of the mast, then take one end of the rope, throw it over the side, under the ship, and up the other side. And upon the signal of the captain or the officer of the deck, this person who had to be disciplined, this sailor, they would tug on the rope, which would yank him off the mast, into the, the drink, and they would drag him across the bottom of the ship because you'd float up against the bottom of the ship. Now, in case you're not familiar with the, the old sailing ships in the old days, there was no bottom paint, anti-fouling paint like they have today to keep the hulls clean. The hulls of the old ships were rife with barnacles and other marine growth of a very crustacean-type nature. And it would rip the hell out of you when you got ripped across there. You might die, you might drown, and if you were in shark-infested waters in the tropics and the blood got in the water, you might just get wiped out. So, a really brutal practice, but the Royal Navy was brutal at that time. But again, for certain select people in history, keel-hauling might be appropriate. One has to consider if John Weaver belongs to that group. Uh, but there is uh, still more. Now, the Democrats are a sick group, but they're calling for unity. They're calling for unity. You heard Biden say it with all the bluster and energy he could muster. Unity, unity, unity. Well, one Linda Sanchez, a Democrat from California, uh, must have President Trump living in her head rent-free. She's come up with a bill. It doesn't name him, but it would only really affect him. It's called the No Glory for Hate Act. I think it's H.R. 434. I've got to read what this would do to you. According to the bill's text, which was provided late last month, the legislation would, quote, prohibit the use of federal funds for the commemoration of certain former presidents. While Trump is not mentioned by name in the proposed legislation, he's the only president to have been impeached twice by the White House. The bill is dubbed the No Glory for Hate Act, was introduced by Linda Sanchez, and has 13 co-sponsors, all of whom are Democrats. Now, apparently one of the prerequisites to triggering the enforcement of this act is that you have to have been impeached twice, since there's only one president that that's happened to, both times unfounded. It's clearly designed to be used against President Trump. Okay, it's also, uh, let's see what else we have. Let's see. The bill specifically prevents federal funds from being used to create or display any symbol, monument, or statue commemorating any former president that has been twice impeached by the House of Representatives, including any highway, park, subway, federal building, military installation, street, or other federal property. The bill also prevents Trump from being buried at Arlington National Cemetery. The Secretary of Defense shall not approve a determination of eligibility for interment or interment in Arlington National Cemetery made by the Secretary of the Army that permits the interment or interment in Arlington National Cemetery of any former president that has been twice impeached by the House of Representatives. It also, I believe, uh, is supposed to not allow President Trump from receiving his duly earned 
pension. Now, I don't know how that works. He wasn't found guilty. He wasn't removed from office. He certainly is entitled to his pension. I doubt that's much much of an issue for President Trump because he's probably not going to collect his pension anyway. The man, in case those of you listened to the show for the first time today or haven't listened uh, for a long time, uh, I mentioned it when I first started the show, Trump didn't even take his salary. His salary is 400 some odd thousand dollars. I believe the pension is 220000 a year. Trump didn't take the $400,000 salary. He had to accept some payment. They won't let you give it all back. So he used to take a dollar, a dollar a year. And the other balance of the 400 some odd thousand, he donated to the veterans. He never took his salary. He did all that, endured all that grief, and never took a dime in salary. So I doubt very much the pension makes very much difference to him. But the very notion that they would contemplate such an idiocy just goes to show you how really sick and demented they are and how just so far from unity they are in their attitude, in their hearts, and in their political agenda. They don't want unity. They want the other U word, unilateral authority and power. That's what they want, unilateral authority and power. And there's other places in our unity theme here today where there's no unity. Now, just because there isn't unity in the country uh, between Republicans and Democrats, one would think there'd be unity in the Democratic Party, right? Unified against the Republicans, one for all, all for one, D'Artagnan, the Musketeers, all of it, right? Anything. If you're a Democrat, you're good. If you're a Republican, you're bad. Well, not so fast. You see, even in the Democratic Party, Democrats are very unified um, in their socialist leanings. They're very unified in their intention of destroying Republicans and the Trump wing of the Republican Party or any attempt at a third party. Um, They're unified about that. But the one thing they're absolutely unified is that their movement, their inexorable movement towards socialism, their agenda can never be compromised even if it means they have to have a little less unity and sacrifice one of their own. See, they circle the wagons around any Democrat politician who comes to grief unless they feel that the offenses committed by that Democrat are so great or the cost of defending that Democrat are so great that it could bring down the party itself and cause it to suffer. Then... The unity goes out the window, and they cut that person loose just as quick as if he were a Republican. Well, that's what's happening now in the state of New York. You've all listened to the past few shows, and you've been watching the news. Governor Benito Cuomo, Il Duce, of New York State, is now coming to grief. The bloom is off the rose for the man who wrote a book about what a great manager he was, and it is now known to all and readily apparent that through his incompetence, his idiocy, and his arrogance, Benito Cuomo sent 15,000 elderly Americans to their deaths unnecessarily by sending COVID-19 infected patients into nursing homes that were COVID-19 free for the purpose of keeping federal money, I'm sure. I'm sure you you follow the money, you get the answer to everything. There was a 3,000-bed hospital waiting for him set up by the President of the United States, Donald Trump, in the Javits Center. I saw it. There was a hospital ship that was sent to New York with a 1,000 beds. I saw it. 
There was a field hospital set up by Franklin Graham in Central Park. I saw it. All three underutilized or almost not utilized at all. I don't think the Javits Center ever had 10% capacity filled. The hospital ship had about 100 patients. I have no idea what the numbers were in the field hospital, but they went underutilized. It was more than just not wanting to give credit to the president and Franklin Graham. Any person that died in a New York facility was deemed to qualify the state for aid. If they died in a federal hospital run by the Army or on a Navy ship, I guarantee you that didn't count into the money they were getting. Now, all of these blue states prior to COVID, through their stupidity and their socialist predilections, had spent themselves into fiscal insolvency. Michigan, California, New Jersey, New York, no surprise there. That's why Pelosi and her ilk, when they try to get these COVID relief bills, wanted so much in there for the blue states because they try to use the COVID as cover for bailing out all of these fiscally irresponsible states that it became insolvent for reasons having nothing to do with COVID, but were just uh, exacerbated by the COVID. Well, now we have the darling of the Democratic Party, Alejandria Ocasio-Cortez, AOC as they call her, joining a growing number of state and federal legislatures, Republicans too, because Republicans have been calling for it, and she's now lent her voice to it. Who would have thought we'd see the day where she'd join anything Republicans said yes to? Calling for... Calling for a probe into how New York's top officials, including Governor Andrew Cuomo, handled nursing homes during the COVID-19 pandemic. Quote, I support our state's return to co-equal governance and stand with our local officials. Calling for a full investigation of the Cuomo administration's handling of nursing homes during COVID-19, Ocasio-Cortez said in a statement. Thousands of vulnerable New Yorkers lost their lives in nursing homes throughout the pandemic. Their loved ones and the public deserve answers and transparency from their elected leadership, and the secretary to the governor's remarks warrant a full investigation, the second-term lawmaker added. They have to add it. She's in her second term. New York State undercounted deaths with COVID-19 among nursing home residents, the state attorney general found. State officials disclosed that nearly 4,000 residents died after having been moved to hospitals on top of the 8,740 who died inside the nursing homes, bringing the total closer to 14,000. Melissa DeRosa, secretary to Cuomo, told Democrat state legislatures in a recent call that the administration withheld how many nursing home residents died from COVID-19 because they feared the numbers would be used against us by the federal government. No, sweetheart, it's not being used against you. It's just being used to prove your incompetence and your criminal liability. If you know, look, I said this before, but for any new listeners out there, I've said this many times on this show and I said it just the other day. Here's the bottom line. We didn't know a lot about COVID-19 when it first came to this country. And I don't fault uh, any politician for acting on things that we, that we now know that we didn't know at the time and formulating policies on things that we didn't know at the time. But what we knew then, even at that early stage, is that this thing, although highly contagious, was apparently not super lethal in terms that we, now we know we have a one per, less than 1% uh, mortality rate, we did know that it was lethal for people in high-risk groups. 
and those were the elderly or people with pre-existing conditions. And if you don't believe me, 94% of all the COVID-19 deaths in this country involve people with, on average, 2.6 comorbidities, meaning they were old, they had diabetes, they weren't healthy. Only 6% of all the deaths were people who were in otherwise good health. So we knew that the elderly and the sick were at risk. Now, what do you think you have in nursing homes? You have that classic population, people who aren't in the best of health and are elderly. That's why there were nursing homes for the first, in the first place. By what sophistry of reason would any sane man or woman mandate that those facilities take COVID-19 patients and reduce this potentially lethal contagion to that population within that population? Only a strunce, only an idiot, only a dumb son of a bitch like Il Duce Benito Cuomo. Ask not for whom the bell tolls, Il Duce. It tolls for thee. And it couldn't happen to a more deserving man. Enjoy the ride. For National Preview Online, I'm Jamie Dury. Thank you.